the mercy of God. It's, it's so marvelous. It's so grace-extending. It frees me up from the dominion of sin, from the certain judgment of death, from hell, from its penalty, from its grasp. And what God has done is shown to us through Christ and His full and final sacrifice. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part one of Pastor Lance Quinn's series from Romans chapter 12, A Living Sacrifice. Pastor Lance's specific text is verses one and two of the Apostle Paul's letter to the first century church in Rome. This towering theological work is in the form of a letter from the Apostle, and it introduces two of the most memorable verses in Scripture. Quote, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, end quote. Here's what Pastor Lance refers to as theology made practical. When Christians begin to understand the mercies bestowed on us by God after reading the first 11 chapters of this blessed epistle, they should want to say, like the new believers at Pentecost, brothers, what shall we do? Well, Paul anticipated this and gave the perfect answer. Become a living sacrifice. Here's part one of A Living Sacrifice. I'd like to invite you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. The great privilege is ours to open up the Word of God and to mine out its truths for our hearts and lives. Romans 12. Beginning in the book of Romans with chapter 12 and running all the way through Romans 15 verse 13, we have all sorts of biblical teaching on the practical and ethical dimensions of the Christian life. Even though there are plenty of implications about our progressive sanctification in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, as you well know, and there is certainly rich theology in chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 also. And as is the habit of Paul, he speaks both of theology and life. And life and ethics and practicalities have a great theological foundation. And within the foundation of our theology are implications about our life. All True theology is inherently practical, and all the true practicality of the ethical dimensions of the Christian life is inherently theological. That's the way God has designed it. And in this first major turn of a section of what we might call Pauline ethics here in Romans chapter 12, the first two verses are some of the most well-known in the entire New Testament. And I've entitled the message this morning, A Living Sacrifice, because this surely is a passage in our Bibles which shows us how to practice what we preach. These brief two verses show us how to live out the theology of Romans 1 to 11. Paul has laid down the doctrinal foundation, and now he wants us to grapple 
with the ethical dimensions of it. And very likely, Romans 12, 1 and 2 become like a bridge from that which has gone before to that which will follow after. It's like a pivot, a fulcrum, which allows for a transition between this practical theology and theological practice. Listen to Paul's profound words from Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, in outlining these two verses, I would call your attention to what we might say is both the what and the how of living as a sacrifice for Jesus Christ in this world. The what is contained for us in verse 1, and the how is verse 2. Or to put it in another way, we have in verse 1 what we might call the exhortative prescription. The exhortative prescription. And in verse 2, we have the ethical practicality. So if you want to outline my message this morning, here it is. The exhortative prescription, verse 1, and then the ethical practicality, verse 2. Let's look at verse 1 and see the exhortative prescription that Paul lays down for the Roman believers and for us as well. He says there, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now let's unpack that a little bit. As I said, this is the what of what Paul wants these Roman believers to do in this world. And notice first that he says he urges or appeals for them to do something. And for Paul here, an appeal falls somewhere between a request and a command, somewhere in the middle. It's a strong urging, though, to do something in your Christian life. And it's a strong exhortation to action. And it could almost be seen as a command because it comes from Paul, a duly appointed apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it could be that Paul is doing something like he did with the Corinthians, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 7, when he said, I say this by way of a concession and not by a command. But it's much stronger than this. Here, Paul is really strongly urging, strongly appealing, strongly exhorting the Romans with what he's about to tell them. And whatever that is, whatever he's about to exhort them to do, he says in verse 1, that it is through or by virtue of the mercies of God, or simply the singular in the Greek text, by the mercy of God. And someone may say, well, what does he mean by the mercy of God? Well, let's go back a little bit. Look back at Romans chapter 2, and we'll trace through just a few of these places where explicitly Paul mentions this idea of God's mercy. 
And I presume that what he means here in chapter 12 when he says, I therefore urge you, brothers, that is, brothers and sisters, to do something via or by virtue of the mercy or mercies of God that he is referring to that which he has already written them about, right? So chapter 2, look at verse 4. He says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, or we could say mercy and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the Christian life, especially as you began the Christian life by repenting? For surely that's the only way to begin the Christian life is to repent, to turn from sin, to follow Christ. Have you ever thought about the idea of repentance being a kindness or a mercy from God? It is. He says it is right there. Chapter 5. Here's another explicit reference to the mercy of God. Look at verse 6. For while we were still helpless, Paul says to the Roman believers, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love or His mercy toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't miss that. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because of His own love. Much more than having now been justified, declared righteous by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult, or we glory, or we joyously praise God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign. That's, a, that's another idea of mercy, the grace of God, through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 6, verse 23, familiar verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, that's another way of speaking about God's mercy, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 9, verse 16. So then, it, that is our salvation, does not depend on the man who wills, it's not by your own initiative, or the man who runs, not by your own effort, but on God who has what? Mercy. The mercy of God. Surely this must be at least in part, if not the whole of what Paul is referring to in chapter 12 when he talks about the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Look at verse 23 of that same Romans 9. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Chapter 11, verse 22. Behold then, that is, listen, uh, look after be astonished by the kindness and severity of God to those who fell, severity, that is judgment, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in His kindness. And then verse 30, for just as you were once disobedient to God, 
but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, that is the disobedience of the Jews, so that these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, the Gentiles, they may also now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. You see, this is filling up all that Paul is meaning, all that he's intending to tell them now as he turns on this fulcrum to what he's about to exhort them prescriptively to do. He even ends Romans 11 with that great paean of praise. Oh, verse 33, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became His counselor, or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. The glory of His mercy. And then with no stop, no versification, no chapter references in the original, therefore, because I've just talked to you about mercy for several chapters, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercy of God to do something. And and what is that something? Well, he says here, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Here's what Paul is saying. I've just given you, through all of this rich understanding of mercy, a clue shedding light upon the marvelous concept that this is what God has done for you in Christ. This is what God has done. He's shed abroad the love of the Holy Spirit in your hearts. He's given you forgiveness of sin. He's justified you, that is, declared you not guilty. He's taken the person of Christ, and He, by that cross event, by Christ hanging there and dying for sinners like you and like me, in our stead, in our place, like the song says, in my place condemned he stood. And because of that mercy, that grace, that free unmerited gift from God to you, as a result of knowing that, as a result of experiencing that, as a result of living in light of that, by virtue of that, you must do something that I exhort you to think through because of the magnanimous grace that has been extended to you, and that is to present your bodies in three ways, he says, as a living and a holy and an acceptable sacrifice to God. That's what he's saying there in verse 1. I mean, that's the mercy of God. It's, it's so marvelous. It's so grace-extending. It frees me up from the dominion of sin, from the certain judgment of death, from hell, from its penalty, from its grasp. And what God has done is shown to us through Christ and His full and final sacrifice what it means to truly not be the enemy of God, but the friend of God. 
and because of that mercy that's been extended to all of us who believe, isn't it only right? Isn't it only best? Isn't it only the most honorable thing in all of the universe that we should extend back to this God who has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, the very presentation that's being asked for here? Of course. Of course it is. Because of those mercies that we read about? Yes. A thousand times yes. That's what we ought to be all about. And yet I guess we ought to also define exactly in what way he's talking about presenting ourselves. And notice what he says there in verse 1. I'm urging you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the first of these sort of three adjectives that describe sacrifice, a living sacrifice. What's, what's he driving toward here? What's a terminological sacrifice? What does he mean by that? Well, you know, the Old Testament spoke of the literal sacrificing, right, of that animal with the Old Testament worshiper and how that worshiper knew about himself or was instructed to know and to realize that this sacrifice that he was to offer to God via the animal where he would place his hand upon that animal so that by the very placing of that hand on the animal, he was identifying with the animal as the animal then was slain, knowing that it was he and his own sins that deserved that just punishment. But the sins were being transferred symbolically onto that animal. And the worshiper was able to live. Now that's behind this terminology. That when he says a sacrifice, it harkens back to those old covenant days. And if there were any Jews in the audience, and there certainly were Gentiles as well in this congregation, who would then be instructed themselves, and the Jews knew very well what kind of terminology he's using here, and in a spiritual sense, not in a literal one, because remember, Christ has been fully and completely sacrificed, according to the writer to Hebrews, never again to be re-sacrificed, not as Rome would say, but to be sacrificed once and for all, free and final, so that as a new covenant worshiper, as it were, my sins were identified with Christ's death on the cross, the very reason for His death. And by the placing of my sins upon Christ, so that the full wrath of the judgment of a righteous and holy God upon Christ, where God the Father turns His face away, where justice and mercy have met, and where God is satisfied in that my soul finds rest. That's the mercy that he's talking about. And that's the kind of spiritual sacrifice through the literal shedding of Christ's blood that avails for me and then should motivate me. And now you know why Paul strongly urges us with this exhortative prescription to offer our bodies 
which means everything about us, the totality of who we are, not just our physical bodies, but everything about us, our mind, our hearts, our emotions, our wills, our consciences, and even our physical bodies as a presentation to God knowing that the sacrifice of Christ credited to my account motivates me to make that kind of living, sacrificial presentation to God from a spiritual viewpoint that honors Him. That's what he's saying. And by the way, it isn't just a living sacrifice. Notice also what he says there in verse 1. It's a holy sacrifice. It's a holy sacrifice. What does the word holy mean? It means someone who's set apart. Someone who's separate from sinners. You might say it like this. It's someone who, by the very virtue of God's redemption of them is now God's exclusive and personal possession. Or to use the language of 1 Corinthians 6.18, you have been bought with a what? Price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Now there it is, of course, in the context of sexual purity with your physical body. But it's not limited to that. And here when he says your bodies... He's talking to them about the totality of who they are, your physical body and your spiritual soul, if we can put it that way. And he says, you're to bring to me, God, a living sacrifice based on the death of Christ and a holy sacrifice, something for which now that you are my exclusive and personal possession, Something that is separate and set apart unto me so that I might be pleased with your holiness, your righteousness, your conduct, your life, the way you set about to live your life. And notice, thirdly, it's to be an acceptable sacrifice, a living one, a holy one, and an acceptable one to God. This is great language. It's just borrowing this Old Testament imagery once again. In fact, look over at Philippians chapter 4, and you're going to see this same word, acceptable, and even the, the phrase well-pleasing to God used by Paul in Philippians 4 verse 18. He says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. That's financial giving. It's a monetary gift of ministry, a fragrant aroma, Paul says, and acceptable sacrifice. Just as he says it here in Romans 12, well-pleasing to God. So what kind of sacrifice are we to present to the Lord? It's the whole of your life, everything about you. He's redeemed you. He's your Lord. You are to not only marvel at His Saviorhood, but His Lordship, that He owns you. You've been bought with a price. He's redeemed you. And therefore, as the King, as the Master, He demands of us in this exhortative way to present a living and a holy and an acceptable sacrifice. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. 
reading through and understanding the doctrine and practical theology presented by Paul in his letter to the Romans is not for the faint at heart. If we work hard using commentary, rereading difficult passages, and perhaps memorizing some of its choice nuggets of truth, one's eyes may figuratively bulge in realizing how merciful our God is. The fact then becomes we cannot live strong, sacrificial Christian lives without understanding the implications of Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. How could God's mercy to us in His beloved Son's sacrifice that paid the price for our sin command anything less than lives of sacrifice among true Christians? If you're interested on finding out how God's wisdom and grace can change your destiny now and forever, come to our website, TimelessTruthToday.org. That's TimelessTruthToday.org. Select Broadcasts on the homepage. There you'll find a treasury of Pastor Lance's gospel-centered messages like the one you just heard. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Lance Quinn, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Tomorrow, it's part two of our new series, A Living Sacrifice. Hope you'll join us then. I'm Matt Williams for Timeless Truth Today. Thank you for listening.